evangelism, uh, personal evangelism, and, and the goal was to help us to be reminded that we, we are a part of this process of leading and sharing the gospel with people. And I just want to do another lesson uh, related to that uh, real, uh, to just help us to feel more comfortable uh, as we go out and share the gospel, the good news with people. And, and I just believe the more information we have from the Bible that helps us put this in a framework, the more likely we are to go out and do it. And, and, and so uh, you guys know, I hadn't forgotten about what I said I was going to do. I was going to come and talk to everybody individually. You guys remember that? So I started that. And so if I hadn't gotten to you, just recognize your, your time is coming. So be ready to hopefully you remember the question. And when I ask you, you simply give me the answer. Because either the answer is yes or no, you're doing it, you're not doing it. Uh, and so the, the, the desired re effect of that is to remind us this is important. And all of us as Christians have a part in the evangelism that should go on at the local congregation. It is not my job only. It's all of our job. And, and some of you, you're in right situations where you got people that you're connected with, folk who live in your house that are unsaved, folk that you work with that are unsaved, neighbors that are unsaved, uh, uh, best friends that are unsaved. You got a mission field right there. And for far too long, we have neglected that and just thought, all I need to do is come to church services. Well, I'm here to tell you, and I want to make some of you feel guilty because these people are dying and going to hell right around us. And it, and it doesn't bother us. So everybody that I meet who's not a Christian, I am reminded I may be the only Christian that this person comes in contact with. And the same goes for you and some of the people, your doctor, your nurses, uh, the people you meet in the grocery store. Take some time. You just never know when you plant the seed where it's going to go. So I want to use as a subject uh, this morning, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Now, I want to reread the passage that we have, and you'll see where that comes from. Matthew chapter 19, verses, starting with verse number 16. Now, behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, Keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect or complete or mature, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. His possessions owned him. He didn't want to part with his stuff. His stuff was more important to him than a relationship with Jesus. Somebody needs to hear me. Because some of you, your stuff is more important than having a relationship with Jesus. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, 
for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them, the disciples, and he said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So, so our title comes from the reaction that the disciples have to what they saw transpire between Jesus and this rich man. Because their concept, if, if it's going to be hard for a rich man to be saved, well, what about us poor folk? Because in their mind, the richer you were, the, that was an indicator that you had a closer relationship or you had favorability with God. And so in their mind, if people who are favorable with God are, are, are not going to make it, what about the rest of us who, who do not have their level of wealth and possessions? And if we're not careful, we can buy into the same false logic that because people have more stuff, that means they have a better relationship with God. You guys know there are rich heathens in the word, world. Millionaires and billionaires, these folks are not right with God. They just have a whole lot of money. When you track the followers of God, the followers of Jesus, yes, there have been some wealthy people that have been in the number, but the vast majority of folk were not wealthy. And so I need that to say to those of you who are trying to become wealthy, don't get so caught up in your quest for wealth and possessions that you fail to realize you as a Christian, you already have the most important possession. That's a relationship with Jesus. And you won't see that as being important unless your mind is right, which is what we see in the text. So I need for us to understand that everyone who presents as a seeker of Jesus is not a seeker of Jesus. In the text, you'll see this guy who comes, he appears to be a seeker of eternal life. He appears to be somebody who wants to get his life right. But as Jesus probes in the discussion, you begin to see he's, he's not ready for that. He really wants something to add to his collection of stuff he already has. Instead of recognizing what you want will require you to start thinking differently. It will cause you to have different goals and, object, uh, and ob ob objectives in life. Everyone who presents as a Christian is not a Christian. And I said that because everybody who shows up at the church building on Sunday is not a Christian, even though they may act like they are. Uh, we can easily spot a phony out in the world. But some of us don't know the scriptures well enough to know. We got phonies that show up for worship service every Sunday. Uh, and, and some of the phonies are the most outwardly religious pious people. Got an amen for everything that's said. But the amen seems to disappear when they leave the building. And they go back to a life uh, that does not show any Christ in them. Uh, I'm going to keep saying to you guys, stop judging folk on what you see on Sunday. Every heathen knows how to act right when they come to church services. 
Every he doesn't know how to dress right and talk right. It's what you're going to do when we're out in the parking lot in a, in a little while. How are you going to act then? It's what you're going to do when you go home or when you go out to the restaurant and, and, and you have your meal or, or what you do this evening. See, a real Christian is a Christian 24-7. So what you see on Sunday is what you're going to see on Friday. And so I don't have to worry about what you're going to do Friday and Saturday. Because you're going to honor God on the weekend like you honor him during the week. Okay, some of you will get that later for you clubbers and bangers and stuff like that. You, you start to understand. You got to honor God on Friday and Saturday, not just on Sunday. In our world, if you listen to uh, the radio uh, evangelists and you listen to the TV preachers, what you will come away with is the idea that there are many ways to be saved. And the problem with that is that you got a lot of people who believe that, so that as we try to share the gospel with people, people will say, I'm already saved. But they'll be saved because they put their hand on the TV screen and, and prayed a certain prayer. Uh, they'll be uh, saved because somebody said, just open up your heart and let Jesus in and everything is okay. Uh, some of them would just say, uh, go make your confession to the priest and you're okay. Uh, and others would say, just live a good life. Just live a good life. And then you have those who say, you don't have to be uh, uh, involved in organized religion. Just be a good person, and, and you can have a relationship with God and stay at home. The problem with all of that is that it sounds good. It sounds, definitely sounds easy. It's just not biblical. And so we're dealing with people who have these concepts, and because they haven't studied the scriptures, they haven't talked to anybody who knows the scriptures, or people that they know who are Christians who know the scriptures, keep their mouth closed. And so you and I are going to have to learn that if you're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you're going to make some people uncomfortable in some of the conversation you have with them. You don't believe me? Just go to the New Testament. Look at some of the conversation Jesus had with folk. You think them Pharisees like being called snakes? You brood of vipers is what he calls them. You, you think that's a compliment? When Jesus makes a statement, anyone who wants to come after me cannot love father, mother, brother, sister, your kinfolk. You can't love them more than me. You, you think that's going to help folk to like you? You even think that's going to help your family members to like you? When you understand, you got to put Jesus before them. And so that means sometimes the family gathering I can't go to because I got an appointment with Jesus. I thought I'd get an amen on that one for sure. Uh, because that's important when you have kinfolk who come into town. And kinfolk always come on the weekend. And you want to be a good host. And so you'll stay home cooking them breakfast and trying to make them happy, and you'll skip worship service. Or we know, they, they, they got three worship services, so I can skip this one and come to another. It's a heart issue. So if I got kinfolk who come to town to visit me, they can come to worship service with me, or they're going to stay at home by themselves. I'm not changing my Sunday schedule for them. God's been too good to me. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. When I go out of town for work or fun events, if I'm there on a the weekend, I got to go to worship somewhere. I'm not cheapening th this by streaming. Because some of us who are cheapening this, we go out of town, uh, I don't want to take the time to find a congregation. I can just stream. Now, I expect you to stream us here, but I expect you to physically go to worship somewhere where you are. Okay, you don't like that. I guess I know what you guys do when you go out of town. 
You and I, others, we become Christians as we follow Jesus. Now, if you're going to be bold enough to claim you are a Christian, then I need to see a track record of you following Jesus. And we'll get caught up and we'll follow personalities. We'll follow people. That's how church splits occur. You get caught up following the preacher or leader. And, and when there's an issue uh, and the church splits, you go with him. Instead of recognizing when there are major controversies that occur in the congregation, you guys got to work it out. God can be glorified in the midst of conflict if we handle it properly. You don't believe me? Go to Acts chapter 6. When the problem came with the Grecian widows, uh, they came up with a remedy that was going to uh, be satisfied to the people, but also based on what God's requirements were. Because the work of the church can't stop because we got a problem over here. You can get somebody to deal with the problem, and we can carry on with the, with the work of the church. In our text, we primarily are dealing with two people. We are dealing with a student who is a rich young ruler who initiates contact with Jesus. And then we're dealing with a teacher named Jesus who responds to the initiation of the rich young ruler. So we got a student and a teacher. I, I need for you to see that. And so we can learn some things about this as we deal with people that we are teaching the gospel to. And Jesus gives us a, a, a remedy of how to approach people to really to determine if they're genuine and, and what they say they want. Because everybody who says they want a relationship with Jesus, after a few probing questions, you can really determine if they are sincere or not. And we have historically wasted a whole lot of time on people who weren't sincere. And then we get mad and we get jaded. And then we say, I'm not going to do it with anybody else. No, we need to wise up and begin to understand that there are certain indicators, certain questions, or certain things that people say that show they want to talk about religion. But they don't want to submit their will to what we're talking about. And don't be so godly that you think, oh, uh, you're arguing with somebody is going to help people understand the gospel. No, if you're honest, when you have gotten into biblical discussion with people and it was an argument, nothing got resolved. And many times, as a result of that argument, that person doesn't want to hear nothing from you or nobody else associated with the Church of Christ. And you don't understand, you have become a stumbling block. So don't get so holy uh, that you just are mean and insensitive to people when you're trying to teach them good news. See, we, we fail to realize that the gospel is supposed to be good news. It's not designed just to, you're always telling folk off and you're shaming them and you're embarrassing them, telling them you're stupid. No, you're the one that's stupid because you don't know how to communicate with people. We have the most precious meth, uh, message to give people and we need to recognize I'm a tool of Jesus. So as I talk to this person, how would Jesus talk to them? So don't get, don't get so caught up on some side issue that you miss the bigger issue. One, I need to behave like Jesus, and I need to share the information with them so they will get to know Jesus. So the rich young, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and his question is, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life. 
He doesn't ask, what must I do to be saved? He asks, what one good thing or what is a good thing that I need to do? He shows he's caught up in law keeping. And many folk are caught up in feeling if I do certain things, that that's going to make me right with God. And they don't care about the heart. They don't care about the attitude. It's just like coming to worship because it's Sunday, but I don't want to be here. I'd rather be at home in my bed. Then you don't need to go back home and get in your bed. Because your being here is not helping you. As a matter of fact, it's hurting you because it's creating hypocrisy in you. So he doesn't ask, what must I do to be saved? But he does ask, what can I do to obtain or earn eternal life? I need for us to understand that eternal life is not something that you experience after you die. You experience eternal life once you get into Christ. And so I am enjoying eternal life. I have a quality of life now that I didn't have before I became a Christian. And it affects my outlook on everything and how I treat people. And it affects my, how I view God and my relationship with him. So one of the things I've come to learn is I trust God on all stuff. You all, I got to check out. Okay, you don't get that. On, on the back of your money? What did it say? In God we? So we trust him. Folk, we got to check out. Because, you know, we wishy-washy. We love you one moment and we hate you the next moment. So eternal life is that quality, uh, 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 that uh, divinely endowed ability to be alive to God. And so once I have that on earth, once I become a Christian, then I'm consciously aware of God every day of my life. I'm aware of God in all of my relationships. I'm aware of God and how I talk to people and how I treat them because my goal is to always treat people and respond the way God would. Even if people don't respond to me that way. You guys know many times you're nicer to people than they are to you. Okay. You ever been to the store and, 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 and well, before COVID when we used to actually exchange money. Uh, and you give people money and instead of them giving you your change and putting it in your hand, they put it on the counter as if you got some kind of typhoid fever. Okay, I guess that's why I say before COVID, because now nobody uses real money. You, you pull out your plastic stuff. Some of you could pull out your, your cell phone. You got the Apple money and the Samsung money and all this kind of stuff on your phone. I'm just from the old school. I still like cash transactions every now and then. Unless you get off track by my example. The goal in teaching people is this is where we want to get them, where they want to know what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, or what do I need to do in order to be saved. That's where you want the person uh, to be, because if, they, if they're genuinely there, then all you got to do now is share what the Word of God has to say. If you got to try and beat something to, through somebody, they're not there, and you're not going to be successful. You and I need to recognize there are millions of people in the world who are genuinely seeking Jesus. Yeah. The, 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 a whole bunch of folk. So don't get so caught up in wasting time with folk who aren't genuinely seeking him. Now, you're not going to know that by looking at a person, but after you have talked with them for a while, you'll begin to see. Uh, I have some friends, 
that, yeah, I guess I can call them friends. We talk religion, but I know they're not interested in changing. They just want to have an intellectual discussion with me and stuff like that and throw off some of their crazy ideas. And I don't get so caught up in that that I think I'm making progress with them. I know the folk. I know where they are. I know that they're not, they're not going to church services on Sunday, no matter how long I stay on the phone talking to them. But because we have a friendship, a relationship, I'll entertain some of that stuff, and then I'm going to change the subject. But you're not going to waste my time. Now, I talk the Bible with somebody who's really interested, but I'm not going to waste my time uh, and my voice on folk who just want to have an intellectual exchange. I say that, be aware of that, because really, that's what happens in this text with this guy. So he asks, what good thing must I do? And really what he's asking is, what, what one good thing do I need to do? Because we're going to find out, he says that he's already done a whole lot. He has the audacity to say he has kept the law all his life, faithfully. Because in his mind... That's what he's done. He's only looked at the external side of it. And all of us can claim faithfulness and goodness if we just look at the external, the legalistic part of it. So everybody who's here can leave here uh, at the end of the service and say, I worship God today because you're here in the building. Then we're going to have another conversation and say, did you have a spiritual connection with God today? That's a whole other story. Being in the building does not mean you have a spiritual connection. It just means you were in the building. Because you got people who are in the building, they're sleeping, they're nodding. They're playing on the cell phone. They're not participating in the singing. I don't know how you could be here and have that kind of lively singing and you not be alert. But, but, I, I, but I see it all the time. Folks sitting out in the audience. And some of them, they don't bounce back. They just <laughs> go all the way down. And some of you are fortunate you have some people who will do the elbow thing or tap you on the leg and stuff like that. But God knows your heart. So, so we, we have the clear question that he puts, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so Jesus, in verses 17 to 19, addresses his question. Because Jesus knows his heart. Know why he knows? Because he made it. Jesus knows our hearts also, in spite of the religious facades we may put up. And as you do more and more evangelism, you talk to people, you're going to see some patterns uh, that will develop with people. You'll see, you'll see some people who genuinely want to know, who genuinely want to be taught. And then you see some people who they, they have an interest in this. But they have not prepared themselves for what the answer to the question will be. And, and so Jesus wants to know, why are you asking this question? Why are you calling me good? Because what Jesus also recognizes is, this guy doesn't know who I am. Because if he understood this is God in the flesh that you're talking to, this is God's son, his approach would have been entirely different. So he asks, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God the Father. But if you want to enter into life, he says, keep the commandments. Jesus says, only God is good. I know we sometimes say we're a good person, but you're a sinner. 
You're as filthy rags as far as God is concerned. And so never get caught up in all the hype that people say about you. Oh, you're wonderful. You're the best thing since sliced bread, and nobody can do it like you can do it, and you're just a blessing, and on and on and on. Don't forget you're still a sinner at the core who's been saved by God's grace, not because you're so good, not because you never made a mistake, but it is because of the goodness of Jesus. Part of this man's problem was he didn't recognize he was sinful. And when you already think you're good, you don't recognize you got some issues, that you're not as good as you think you are. Because we focus on the good stuff, the outward stuff, the things that people say about us, but you know your heart. You know uh, after uh, late at night or uh, when you're by yourself, you think all kind of ugly thoughts about people. You know all it takes is for somebody to get on your nerve and, and your thoughts go the way they go. You know when you're in traffic, you're hollering and screaming at folk in other cars, or you're doing the sign language, or you're running up on somebody's bumper. Or you're at a stoplight and you just like everybody else get on your horn. That person doesn't move the moment the light changes colors. Sinner. You don't think you are. I called you one. See, we, we've forgotten things like patience and all that kind of stuff. So maybe today when you leave and the person in front of you at the stoplight or the, uh, the sign doesn't move the moment you think they ought to. You won't touch the horn. And you won't rush up on their rear end. And so because he's asking the question, he says, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And I mentioned already, he says that because he sees his heart, he knows he's used to law keeping. But Jesus is going to teach him something to help him understand, but you don't even follow the law you think you follow. So his response is, which ones? Because in his mind, I've kept them all. I'm, I'm good at this. And Jesus said, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you should, have, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus wants to get at the fact that these laws that you have been keeping, you haven't kept them perfectly. And Jesus gets at the point here, he, he, he only lists the easy commandments. And you say, well, what's easy about them? I'm going to tell you. They're easy because it's easy to see if you're doing this or not. If you haven't murdered anybody, then you haven't done it, Right? If you haven't had sex with somebody you shouldn't have sex with, you haven't done it. If you haven't taken something that wasn't yours, you haven't stole. And the list goes on and on. But what he does not understand, and what many of us don't understand, is the sin occurs up here. So even if your hands never touch it, you have sinned because it was up here. Okay? You would say, I'm not a murderer, but have you used your tongue to assassinate somebody? Murderer, you are. Have you lusted after something that wasn't yours? Uh, somebody else gets blessed with something and you wish you had it over them? Thief. You saw somebody who was attractive 
and your mind immediately goes to undressing them? So you can begin to see how even though you haven't outwardly done this, if you've done it up here, you're a sinner. Because we will harp on the fact, I haven't done that. I don't smoke, I don't drink. But in your heart you do. You wish you could do it, but you're afraid to do it because folk will talk about you. And so you live vicariously through other folk who do it. And you like being around folk who smoke. And you like being around folk who drink, but you'll never take a drink yourself because you're a coward. But up here you're a sinner. You're guilty of it. Because that's the point Jesus is trying to get this guy to see. You're talking about you've kept all these laws perfectly and all that. You have kept them perfectly outwardly. And so when you brag about, oh, I've never missed a worship service. I've been here every Sunday. Have you really been here totally every Sunday? Or was your body here? And so let's get real. Your body was here, but your mind was someplace else. You don't believe me? Just let uh, Christmas and all these other holidays fall on Sunday. And we grudgingly come to worship because we want to enjoy the holiday. And you can't wait for worship to be over so you can go and enjoy the holiday. Well, you might as well stay at home and unwrap your Christmas gifts for the spiritual benefit you got out of it. You were physically here, but your heart wasn't here. And so I said, these, these, are, the easy, these are the easy commandments. Because if you go back uh, with the Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter uh, uh, 6, where, where the Ten Commandments are listed, when you look at the first ones, they deal with relationships. It's hard to fake a relationship. Have no other God before me. Don't put uh, any other things before me. Don't create no graven images. So if you're hung up in materialism, you've got another God besides the God. If you're putting other things and other people before the God, you've already violated those scriptures. And we may never have an idol sitting in our house, but we got an idol sitting out in our parking lot. And so what Jesus wants the, the young ruler to understand is that you have not faithfully kept the law, even though you think you have. And so that's why he brings this up, because we will say, I've never missed a worship service. You know, I read my body and my Bible every day and on and on and on. You never miss the worship services because your body was physically here, but your mind wasn't. You read your Bible, or you call words in your Bible every day, but do you understand what you're reading? Or do you just read something so I can say, I read my Bible every day? Reading by itself is not gonna help you. You gotta have some understanding. And then as you understand, you gotta have some application uh, that goes along with you. So in verses 20 through 22, Jesus has to, to help the rich young ruler to think through some things. And many times we, we think we want a close relationship with Jesus, or people think they want a close relationship with Jesus until they begin to understand what the requirements of that are. It costs to have a relationship with Jesus. Come on, some of you, you high maintenance. So any man or woman who wants to have a relationship with you is going to have to spend some money. Okay, you don't want to acknowledge you high maintenance, okay. 
So if you're going to have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to order some priorities. You have to change some things. He's going to have to be first. And it's going to be in a tangible way, not you giving lip service to it. So, so I, I, I've shared some things with you. When you're staying at home because your spouse is sick and you're healthy, your spouse is your God. When you're staying at home because your teenage child is not feeling well, but you'll leave them at home uh, when you go to work. You, you, you do know teenagers can take care of themselves. They're not babies. You don't have to change them. You don't have to feed them. They know how to go to, in the kitchen and get something to eat if they're not feeling well. You guys know that, right? So why are you staying at home with them? Uh, saying, I don't have enough gas, uh, because if I come to church service on Sunday, I'm not going to have enough gas to go to the week. I hope your car runs out of gas if that's your attitude. <laughs> because if you take care of God, he'll make a way for you to have some gas. If your finances is that funny, talk to a churchman. We'll give you twenty dollars. Say, hey, go fill your car up. It'll get you to work. So if you give him twenty and then he gives him twenty, that's a full tank right there. See, that's how it works. We family, so we just know you got these kind of issues. We just go in the pocket. Or some of you said, just go down to the gas station. I'll be there with my credit card. We're gonna fill that thing up. But you gotta learn how to trust God. You gotta have relationships that go beyond your creature comforts, and you put Him first. And so the young man would say, I kept all these things, but what else do I need to do? And here's what Jesus really kicks them in the teeth. Let me, let me just read this, because some of you guys can relate to it in verse number 21. No, 2021. The young man said, uh, said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? 21. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So he wants eternal life. He, he, he says all this, and so Jesus gives him clear instructions on what he needs to do. You rich, go sell your stuff and give it to folk less fortunate. You want to know if a rich person really cares about God? Tell him to do that. Okay. You want to, you, you want to know what a not-so-rich person, what they really made of? Tell them to divest themselves of all this materialism. Because for many of us, that's status. That's my identity tied into that stuff. I can't get rid of that because then people will say I'm a nobody. Well, the somebody is Jesus. We felt we you're servants, we're slaves. That's a nobody. But we want to be somebody in the world. And so we take on these uh, 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 facades and, all, and fronts and stuff like that and we forget in the context of my relationship with Jesus, I'm a servant, I'm a slave, I don't have no rights. And so he says, the proof that you want salvation is if you will go and sell all this stuff and give it to somebody who doesn't have anything. I asked the group uh, this, this morning, hey, why you keep stuff in your closet that you can't wear and will never be able to fit it again? All the memories of what, what it used to feel like to wear that. <laughs> so why are you holding on to this stuff? I appreciate you sisters for the sisters' closet, uh, where some of you can let go of some of those things, and, and you create a shopping experience for people who can benefit or who like those kinds of things. But holding on to stuff that has no, 
no value to you, and you can't fit it. You know, clothes are made to be worn. They're not made to be looked at. I, I know some of you like to watch people on the red carpet and stuff like that, but they're wearing stuff you could never afford. He says, go and sell what you have uh, if, you want, if you want to demonstrate you want salvation. He says, when you do that, now you got some real treasure. you got treasure in heaven. And, and, and what some of us show, I don't want no tre treasure in heaven. I want my treasure on earth. Oh. See, some of you, you like getting your bank statements every month and your 401k statements. Uh, you want some proof that you got something on earth. You, you know you're not getting no bank statement from heaven. you you got to have faith that based on what you have done, God has observed and will reward you later. But we want our earthly rewards. So every month you get all the stuff in the mail. I said, oh, no, I forget, you guys are modern. You get it all electronically, comes into your home. And you see this dividend and that dividend and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I, I got some security. You really don't have any security if you're not saved. You got some stuff. And if, if Jesus came to you and said, uh, if you want to be saved, get rid of all that stuff. How many of you would hit delete and say, I don't want this? Can, get, can I get a hand? I got two, three, four. I got some maybes. And I got some people scratching, but your hand is not up. <laughs> okay. You got to live like that stuff is not important to you. You got to live like it's not important to you. And so we'll talk about sacrificially giving and all that kind of stuff. It's nice to talk about it. But when the rubber meets the road, are you giving sacrificially? Or are you giving out in abundance? And so you're not even missing what you're giving. That's not sacrificial giving. And so Jesus says, go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. And then he says, now you can come and follow me. Now, the interesting thing is that what he says there is really the answer to the statement he makes in verse number 16. Now, behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? You want to have eternal life? Follow Jesus. But Jesus knew he wasn't ready to hear that because he was hung up on law keeping and doing things to earn salvation. And we still got people who think you earn salvation. You don't earn anything related to salvation by showing up here every Sunday. You don't earn anything if you put a million dollars in the collection plate. You don't earn anything for all these external things. You can quote 20 million scriptures in the Bible and whatnot. What you and I need to do is give ourselves totally to Jesus in response to what he's done for us. His death on the cross was priceless. You, you can't put a value on that. And it is interesting, Jesus does not put a value on what we ought to give back to him. He simply says give. And we want to give on the cheap. Somebody who gave their life for you, you ought to be willing to give as much as you can, not as little as you can. Oh, I know, we've got to save something for me. Uh, the best rainy day account is a relationship with Jesus. So you guys know how the story ends. Verse 22, when the young man heard that saying, he would do, he did just what many of you would do. 
He went away sorrowful, down, depressed, bothered that he didn't get the answer that he wanted. And the text says because he had a whole lot of stuff. He had a whole lot of possessions. So the, the problem of the rich young ruler was materialism. See, when you can't let go of the stuff you got for Jesus, that's a problem. And what Jesus wants, he's not asking you to sell all your stuff. He's just asking you, don't put it before me. He's not saying you can't have a new car, you can't have a new house and all that, but it can't be more important to you than your relationship with me. Now, you need to demonstrate that that stuff is not more important than him. That's where the rubber meets the road. How are you going to demonstrate it? And that's where we got to find out and understand what Jesus wants. The man's possessions own him. We're told to have lay up treasure in heaven, not lay up treasure on earth. And Chase Bank. Uh, what, what bank do you work, you work with? What bank? What bank do you use? Bank of America. What bank do you use? Oh, you use a credit union. And, and all these other financial institutions that are out there. We got a whole lot of trust in them. But what about your financial trust in Jesus? See, this man did not want Jesus as Savior and Lord. He wanted to find something he could do to get eternal life. Instead of giving himself to Jesus. And in the contemporary church, we want to find something to do. So if I'm involved in one ministry, you guys won't bother me. It's a heart issue. You may not need to be involved in any of the ministry based on your ability or, or your unwillingness to use them. Because it's a heart issue. Why sign up for a ministry when I know I'm not going to do anything uh, with the group? I just want my name on there so you want nobody to bother me. God's done too much for us for us to just sit around and think the only thing I need to do is just come to worship service on Sunday. Do you remember in Luke chapter 19, a uh, little short fellow named Zacchaeus? Rich man? You contrast Zacchaeus' attitude with the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus recognized he was a sinner. He recognized he had cheated folk. He recognized he needed to make some restoration. And he said, I will give back up to, what, a half of my uh, fortune or, 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 or whatever the number is, two-thirds or something like that. So when he, when he, when he found a relationship with Jesus that relationship was more important than him hanging on to stuff. When you really make a commitment to a relationship with Jesus, you'll find that's more important than your boyfriend or girlfriend. You'll find that's more important than your husband or wife. You'll find that's more important than your children. You'll find that's more important than the job that you have. You'll find it's more important than the degrees you got on your wall. But if that's not there, then all those things will become more important, and you will order your life around all those things. And see, if you order your life around those things, you won't have time for Jesus. But the story doesn't stop there. So, so he's, he has dealt with the rich young ruler. He taught him some things, and the guy didn't like what he learned. So he goes away crying, sorrowful, depressed, down and out. But then Jesus deals with his disciples. Because they've been seeing this. Uh, and you and I need to recognize, as we interact with people, 
other folks see us. And, and they have questions about what they see because seeing something does not mean you always understand the details of what went on. And some of us are too quick to jump to judgments based on what we see, but you hear no verbal exchange to know what was going on in the conversation. So in verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus says to them, it's hard. He didn't say it was impossible. He said it's hard, it's difficult. It's difficult because the rich trust in their riches. The rich are self-reliant because they got all the money in the bank. So if you filthy rich, you can just go out and buy whatever you want. You don't have to budget for it. You don't have to plan for it. You just write a check out for it. But if you don't have those resources, then now you've got to consider some other things. And, and, and so Jesus said, so it's, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. Again, but not impossible. Because we have some rich brothers and sisters at congregations. You got some rich entertainers. You got some rich uh, sports athletes who are members of the body of Christ, and they rich. And they didn't do anything dishonest to get it. And they understand that they're not defined by their wealth, that their relationship with God is important. Now, I know rich people uh, who, who would do a Bible lesson at the church building, who won't get caught up in their status because they're servants. They're just a servant who got a lot of money. And they're generous with that because they recognize God blesses you to be a blessing to other folk. And then Jesus, to help them, said, it'll be easier for a camel to go to an eye of a needle. Now, I said this at 8 o'clock, folk laughed at me. And I said, many of you don't even know what a needle is. Now, older people know what a needle because you've had to do some sewing. Younger folk, you just take your stuff to the cleaners and it gets altered because you can just pay for it. Anybody got stuck with a needle when you're trying to sew and weren't paying attention? Uh, anybody remembers how difficult it is to get that thread to go through that little, that little eye there? And you got to have your glasses on to do that one. And, and so Jesus, Jesus said it'll be easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. Now, He's, he's using that in comparison. You guys know a camel cannot go through the Iowa needle. So he was using that to show just how impossible this is. So, so don't, don't, don't be trying to find an Iowa needle that you put a camel through, because it's not going to happen. And so as Jesus is saying this, and the disciples say, wow, if that's the case, who can be saved? If, if a rich man uh, who in our thinking, must be right with God in order to have all these riches. If, if, if he can't be saved, or in our culture today, she can't be saved, then what about the rest of us who are not wealthy, who don't have all those resources? And so Jesus has to then step in to help them when he says, but Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. There are many things that we as humans cannot do. 
And the sooner we learn that lesson, we save ourselves a whole lot of grief. If it's not in you, it's not going to come out. Now, I need to say, we need, some of us need to stop trying to be millionaires. It's not in you. God does not, does not have a plan for you to do that. You want to do it. You want to be independently wealthy and all that kind of stuff, but you're wasting resources. I know a lot of folk who are in every get-rich-quick uh, scheme there is. You want to sell this, you want to sell this, and if you sell that, I'll get a percentage of it, and it moves me up the ladder, and the more people I get in there, then more money I make. Am I, am I the only one who's been around folk who, who sell this kind of stuff to you? And you see them spending more money trying to make money uh, and, getting, and getting poor all the time. Then if they had just been faithful with what they had. Human efforts won't work. You can't earn salvation. You can be here every Sunday. As a matter of fact, you can be here every day of the week in the building and still be lost. But then I like what it says that with God, all things are possible. You know why? Because God has the ability to change a person's heart. So a person could have been like the rich young ruler, but God get a hold of him, his attitude will change. And maybe the next time he'll say, yes, I'm willing to sell it, get rid of it, because you're more important. And a lot of times, God has allowed stuff to happen to us to get us there. Some of us, we're not going to do right until catastrophe comes in our life. And then we come run into the building. And then we read our Bible every day. Then we're going to study. Then we're going to do all the things that we should have been doing. But because of these obstacles that we had in our, in our way. See, for some people, getting fired and laid off is a blessing. It helps you get your priorities right. For some of us, somebody divorcing you is a blessing to you. You don't see that as a blessing, but it helps you to appreciate what you had so you don't miss, take advantage of folk. Some of you, when your children go rotten, it is a reminder I should have raised them right. Because in the church, we get amnesia. Oh, I brought them to church every, every Sunday. That's one day a week. And so for six days, you just let them do what they want to do. You think one day of coming to church service is going to outweigh six days of the world? I appreciate Jesus reminding us that with God, all things are possible. So the person that you think can't be reached, if God opens his or her heart, they can't be reached. So make sure you don't do anything to close their heart. That's why this fussing and arguing with people over the Bible and salvation, it, it does no good. Because you're not going to get anybody to listen to you when you're always criticizing them. Folk who are sinners know they're sinners. Okay, let me back. Folk who are outside of the world, outside of the church, they know they're sinners. Folk in the church, we forget we're sinners. So many times you can reach folk outside of the church you, then you can reach the folks sitting in the pew every Sunday. I'll let you wrestle with that statement. Okay. All right, time for me to quit. Lessons from today. <clears throat> Recognize no one can be saved on their own terms. You don't get to write your job description. Uh, you don't get to write your contract. If, if you're going to be saved, it's going to be based on what Jesus says in Scripture, not what you want to hear. 
but what he says. So as you go out to teach people the gospel, teach them what Jesus said. Don't shortcut it to make it palatable, to make it easy for people, because they're going to meet the word of God at some point. So you ought to tell people the truth up front. And so one of the things I tell people as I am teaching them is that the more you study the word of God, the more you're going to see that you have to change. It's not about what you want to do. You're going to see if you're going to follow Jesus, this is going to have to happen. And so we need to help people on the front end to begin to understand, you got to follow Jesus. And following him is going to put you in position sometimes where you're not going to like what you got to do. It's going to go against what you're comfortable with. But it's right. We have many people who believe that they're saved and they're not. So recognize as you go out to talk to people about the gospel, you're going to be talking to people who think they're saved. They think they're Christian. And you need to respect their beliefs. You don't discredit them and say, you're just stupid, you're blind, you're ignorant. That was the way 50 years ago. Doing that today, get the door slammed in your face if you get to somebody's house or to get your phone call not returned or your text unreturned. You got to recognize that we have a group of people today who are growing up in environments where uh, this kind of doctrine is what they're hearing. They don't have any biblical support for it, but they show enough believe it. So we who know the truth, who should be studying the, the truth, uh, sanctifying God in our heart. You guys remember that first Peter passage? So that when these opportunities come, we can simply share what the word of God has to say. And you just leave it there. Because the person has to obey God, not you. So stop trying to ramrod people. Recognize that rigid keeping of the commandments does not mean you saved. And this is for us church folk. Don't get so caught up in being a Pharisee, a hypocrite, that you see no grace and you see no mercy. That everything has to be done your way. And you don't even check to make sure your way is consistent with God's way. It's just this is how I've always seen it. There's a whole lot that all of us have seen that later on in life you understand what you saw was not right. It is what you saw, but it wasn't right. So be careful of rigid keeping of commandments. Show some grace. Recognize that there's a spirit, that's an attitude that needs to go along with the scriptures. Yet we have high, uh, a high view of authority of scripture, and we're not going to uh, give license to violate it. But when folks make a mistake, they made a mistake. Now, haven't you made a mistake? Some of you speed and you say it was an accident. You know it wasn't an accident. You deliberately sped. But that's what you'll say to the police officer when they stop you, knowing you're lying. We've got to follow what the word of God has to say. But don't get so strict that you become God. That you're sitting in judgment on folk when you are sinner. See, that, 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 there's some conversations and some things you are not even saying. Because you don't know what God's going to do with this person. You don't, you don't know, maybe five years from now, their hearts may be open. And so you got to be careful of what you say to a person right now. Because you can become the stumbling block. 
So instead of getting, getting so caught up in this on your own, recognize that people need to listen to Jesus for salvation. And so the question ought to be, what did Jesus say about this? And if you're saying what Jesus said about it, hallelujah, praise Jehovah, we're going to do it. But if we discover what you said and what Jesus said is not the same, guess what we're going to do? We're going with Jesus. That's why make sure what you're saying is accurate, that there's a biblical basis for it, that you try and bind it on other people. Because otherwise you may be binding your personal preferences and traditions on the people. And you and I are not God. He didn't ask us a cold, cold rule with him. He asked us to obey him. So the question, who can be saved? Anyone can be saved who's willing to follow Jesus, who's willing to obey him. Now, if a person has their own agenda, then it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Not impossible, but it's going to be sure enough difficult if the heart does not change. So I say that so instead of getting frustrated with people who you feel uh, are not moving and doing what you ought to do, pray about it. Many of us, you didn't obey the gospel the first time somebody talked to you about getting baptized. Some of you, if you're honest, it took a while. And some of you, even after you got baptized, you weren't right with God. You just did it because somebody said something to you, and it was only after that that you came to your senses and really started doing what you're supposed to do. So how is it we, we could have gone through some of these things and, and we show no grace or mercy to other folk who are struggling, who don't have the amount of light that you have or that you had. See, growing up in the Church of Christ uh, can mess you up if you're not careful. You, you lose all sensitivity for folk who didn't grow up. You think they're all stupid, they don't love God, and they're not trying to be right with God and whatnot. Uh, I know people in denominational churches who are more committed to what they believe than Church of Christ folk. And we'll have the audacity to criticize them. They are true to what they believe. We're hypocrites on what we believe. But we want to condemn other folk. We need to clean up first so that we can then show people the love of Jesus. I, I'm always just amazed when we read the gospel, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, all them folk just love to hang out with Jesus. Anybody, you, you read that? And we won't even go out and minister to them. But those folk flock to Jesus. They flocked to him because they knew he cared about them. They knew he didn't approve of their lifestyle. And, and, and people who are in that today, they know church folk won't approve of their lifestyle. But if you want to draw them out of that lifestyle, show them the love of God. And then be patient with them. This morning, if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, you have a confession that you need to make, uh, we're going to give you the opportunity uh, to let that be known. Our song of invitation is, You Restore Me. I am thankful that God has restored true believers. And I am thankful that God will restore people who come to him knowing they need him and who are not self-reliant, but who recognize the power of God to transform. If you need to respond this day, please do so as we stand and sing.